If you are a fan of the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast and would like to help support the show, there's a great way that you can do that and start a new fashion trend. We have a new merchandise page on the website which features t-shirts and hoodies that are available for sale on Amazon. Just click on merchandise in the top menu and all of the links will be there or go directly to divebarrockstar.com slash merchandise. Get started early on your Christmas shopping at divebarrockstar.com. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. We're going to do something a little different this episode, and I'm going to tell you all about it in just a second, but I'm also making this episode a little shorter with the hope that maybe you will take that extra time and go to iTunes and just leave a short review because it really helps the show get more exposure and more listeners, which will help keep me, you know, doing the show (laughs) because there are a certain amount of expenses and and a whole lot of time that goes into making each episode. And all of that can be covered with just more listeners. So if you are enjoying the show, just stop by iTunes and and tell them how you feel. And that will, you know, move the podcast up in the search engine, maybe get us on some lists. I mean, I know we're already kind of on the list of music podcasts, but the, the higher it goes, the more people see it, the more visibility the show has. And if you really feel motivated, there's a couple other things you can do. Like you heard at the top of the show, you could buy a t-shirt or a hoodie on Amazon or you can donate directly to the show. And uh, both of these links can be found at www.divebarrockstar.com. And I also realize that we're all going through hard times right now. So if all you can do is just tell a friend, just tell a friend or, or five or, or 10 or, or 30 about the podcast. And um, please keep enjoying the episodes because that's really the most important thing. So Thanks for listening to my spiel. Let's move on with this show. So this week, I'm going to do something totally different. I'm taking a break from the usual format. On several several of these episodes, the interview went really long. In an effort to keep the show at a reasonable length, I had to, you know, I have to make some tricky choices sometimes and, and cut some of the interview. So this episode is called The Cutting Room, and it features a few of the conversations that have fallen victim to the virtual knife if you will. So we're going to start with Eugene Edwards from episode number 19. And he still holds the record for the longest interview at two and a half hours. So if you ever run into him, just pat him on the back. And I'm calling this excerpt the Eddie Van Halen, Billie Eilish, Bing Crosby connection. So here we go. So Eddie Van Halen has just died. And I know although you play Country music, you know, uh-huh. I don't think you can be a guitar player and not have some kind of Eddie, sure. I, I can do, at least an opinion. I can do 15 minutes panel on Eddie. All right. Because I almost had to this week. So for the Fender show that we do every, every Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. The Fender play live. Um, our topic, we were set up to talk about the caged system. 
Right. And I wrote the script. I'd done all this research and it just, it's the normal work that I normally put into an episode. And we've got a guest that's booked and sh- she's all up on the cage system and she knows what she's going to play. Everything's coordinated. Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesday, we get the word that Eddie Van Halen has, has passed. And um, mm-hmm. so, and I kind of, I get a call from my producer uh, from the Fender show just saying, you know, um, we kind of got a request from on high that we pivot and do something. The show tomorrow should be about Eddie. And I right. said, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I said, just, I'll spend all night and tomorrow morning just knowing everything about the man that I possibly can. And I, I guess I already knew a lot. Right. Um, by proxy of being a kid who was learning guitar in the eighties. Right. Long story short, they decided not to do it about Eddie. We couldn't get a guest. Right. Anybody we were reaching out to knew Eddie personally, and they just couldn't imagine being on air wow. the next day. I, I get mm-hmm. it. I get mm-hmm. it. So then we kind of took a breath into the cage system anyway. But of course, he's he's been in my head. And uh, yeah, I learned guitar in the 80s as a kid. And it wasn't really the style that I wanted to know. It wasn't the style that spoke to me. Mm-hmm. But you had to try. You right. had to know it because if you, in the eighties, if you said, I play guitar, it's kind of what somebody was expecting to hear at some point. Right. And, and I pointed there's, um, in terms of, again, I feel like we're just trying to explain to younger people exactly what's the big deal. Mm. Because to them, we're, we're actually saying, um, wow, well, it's just been a really heavy day because the world's greatest typewriter repairman just passed away. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's harsh sounding to anybody, you know, age 50 and above. Right. But it's just a fact. <laughs> so, um, but how dominant was he? So in the movie Back to the Future, mm-hmm. I, there's not one, but there's two references. Wow. Right. He's got, uh, he goes back in time and he has to, uh, uh, he's trying to trick those kids into thinking he's from the future. So he, he dresses mm-hmm. up in the thing and right. he has a boombox and there's a cassette tape and it says Van Halen. Van Halen. And it's not even Van Halen music, but it's that right. style. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, you know, it just proved, and kids in the fifties, like, what the, oh my God. Yeah. And then, and then you cut to the final scene with the, the Johnny B. Good scene. And mm-hmm. they've got to sort of show that there's a difference. Well, this is what guitar was in 1955. And then how do you signify what it is in 1985? And he does two-handed tapping and right. tremolo picking. And yeah, that's, there you go. That's, if you had to end it, and they made that movie for the masses. Yeah. And, and they needed to make a guitar reference that the masses would recognize yeah you have to go with eddie van halen yeah now the other interesting thing and um i was reminded of something happened maybe a year or two ago which i really loved there was a moment where it came to light that billy eilish simply didn't know who van halen was right right i forgot about which that. by the way means that she was asked right billy did not right. wake up one morning take a, a, a wooden spoon and hit a trash can let's say listen up everybody <laughs> i don't know if it, like that doesn't i mean somebody was trying to get a viral moment right or clickbait right, right and they right. got it right? absolutely billy Alice doesn't know who yeah. Alice. so eddie's son wolfgang does something that it just made it made him my favorite person on the planet and i don't even know this guy mm-hmm. and i think he went to social media and said hey all all billy eilish fans there was this band called van halen check them out they were awesome and I'm really excited for you to discover this stuff. Right. Hey, all Van Halen fans. There's this new artist named Billie Eilish, and she's incredible. Please check her out. I'm so excited for you that you're going to discover this new music. Yeah. And I thought, was that so hard? Right. And he just just he just put that fire out right away. Just yeah. shamed everybody. It's like, what are you trying to do with this with the, with dividing? Why does everything have to be a fight? 
This is interesting because uh, David Lee Roth mentioned this recently in an interview about a couple of years ago. He'd said how, you know, they came up playing clubs and they knocked around LA for quite a while. It, it looked like for a while they were going to be the, the local band that was never going to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And David Lee Roth, it was the seventies and disco was huge. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted a gig, you had to fill the dance floor. So, so right. by the grace of the rhythm section, they were able to work. And uh, he said, if you know that first record, a lot of those uh, those early hits of ours, they all fit in that disco BPM. They're mm, in a range, right? And compared to the previous heavy rock bands or heavy metal bands, if you will, these guys smiled. They mm. looked like they had a lot of fun up there. Yeah, oh my they gosh. were more melodic. Yeah, and I think. In short, w- w- girls and women felt very welcome to go yeah. see Van Halen in a way that Dio, Deep Purple, Ozzy, mm-hmm. um, yeah. they, not the most welcoming thing to women, right? Right. Um, but Van Halen just had that little pivot, that little, that commercial pivot. Well, they had David Lee Roth. They had David Lee Roth. Uh, by the way, I, was just... I, I'm hoping that when, because obviously I think a lot of people are, are have been doing their deep vi- dives mm-hmm. of old Van Halen stuff. Right. And especially if you look at like the 81 footage from the Oakland Coliseum, which that was my first exposure to them. Early mm-hmm. MTV kid. The uh, So This Is Love video was the Oakland scarf, as I refer to it. And uh-huh. the beginning, he says, I'm going to get my Oakland scarf right here. <laughs> and um, you just watch like, that's what a front man right was all about right yeah and and i think hopefully hopefully some love will go back his way it's like oh oh wow yeah he he kind of had extended the standard basically the mick jagger standard this mick jagger to steven tyler in a continuum there right and he was like up he was a proper front man yeah so yeah the the band everyone was great on their axes and they they created great hits and they were melodic and those riffs were great and they were and it's fun. It's interesting to me too that they, they're not, I don't think of them as the shredder band because they're so musical. Yet he invented a style of guitar that just kind of defined what heavy metal and, you know, shredding became, you know, but it's, right. he does it in such a different, such a musical way. It, it just, I mean, I was never like a huge metal guy, you know, mm-hmm. um, but you listen to that stuff and it's, and, and at the time I wasn't a huge um, Van Halen fan either, but 1984 though, wore that record out because mm-hmm. it's just so there's enough popness to it Huge. you know it's like they took this sort of aggressive thing and turned it into the funnest party that you could ever want they, to go they to. lost diehard fans by especially on that album right um but uh, of course they didn't regret it um right <laughs> yeah but 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 the other thing is is with eddie it was just you know a guy like that passes away and and you you just say thank you yes thanks yeah. for thanks yeah. for just coming up with that and and he did it with a with that magnificent mischievous grin the whole time yeah i mean that really was also there you know at the time punk was also in vogue and punk was all about um you don't have to be special or good it's not about technique it's get that thing plug it in make a sound and and get your statement out there and then at that same time a guy like eddie comes along and says um you're gonna have to spend so much time alone to catch up with me (laughs) You're just going to have to play catch up. There is a separation yeah. between me and you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was a large part of the rock audience that still wanted that, that mm-hmm. athleticism. Yeah. You know, they wanted a Michael Jordan. Right. And and they wanted to aspire to that. Yeah. They didn't really want to see like, well, they didn't want the, well, God, I could have done that. They didn't want that. Right. Moment. They yeah. still kind of want a little bit of that God, that rock mm-hmm. God thing. Well, I think, don't you think that maybe guitar players are progressing with pop music anyway, and H- Hendrix is no longer, Hen- Hendrix is somewhat achievable now. 
mm-hmm. and you're still now you want the next challenge and here yeah. comes this guy and just like you know kind of it's like the x games in those sports right yeah, so a guy right. does a certain flip on a skateboard and okay fine but then someone's got to come up well i've got to do something twice as outrageous as that because that's right. now the new norm exactly and yeah. and, it, and music is i think always going to be like that yeah. isn't it and no it's absolutely not it's, no? it's stopped being like that in my opinion oh. we're, we're past that now everyone just gets the same plugins and they just use the same garage band samples that's just and... true although although what's interesting <laughs> I, I guess back to billy eilish i think what's really mm-hmm. interesting about her and um this is, of course it's a cliche of a comparison but to me she's so much like being crosby oh, okay because so she's she and her brother clearly have access to the exact same technology as most average income folks would have mm-hmm. right right and they sit up and they set up in that room and they just they make this they make these tunes and they're meticulously done though uh-huh. I think the, yeah, oh, the amount yeah. of work that they're doing and and her vocals in particular um, are significant. So absolutely, going back to f- female-led pop hits, we we had from like Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, uh, Rihanna, uh, a lot of the stuff that Sia has written, big anthemic. I mean, these records are like coming. It's like an it's just like a sound assault. It's just mm-hmm. like, but and that's right. part of the technology, as we've discussed before, where yeah. We listen to tunes on demand now. We don't just like dial in halfway through a song on the radio. Right. Right. We don't really yeah. turn on terrestrial radio anymore. Right. We click on our Spotify apps or on iTunes or whatever. We hear the song from the from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so all the songwriters and producers know that. So they're gonna do everything. They're gonna shoot fireworks and like confetti at you. <laughs> and it's right. just like this thing's just coming at you too much. Yeah. Um, and the songs are big and the anthems are big and the titles are short one word things that are easily searchable. And I mean, there's all these tricks, right? Right. And she again, she's making this very, you know, very modern sounds and and all the same, all the plugins, like you said. Yeah. And then she goes the other way though, vocally, very yeah. intimate sound. Yeah. Very, very intimate. Sure. And she layers them and now it it feels like um, a very inward teenage girl mm-hmm. expressing her thoughts, which is what it is. Right. And, and of course there's a huge population of music listeners that were, they were aching for that. They didn't want to yeah. be, uh, and this is not to detract from the other artists I'm talking about, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying like having Katy Perry literally roaring at you, yeah. like that record's just right. roaring at you, which yeah. is its appeal. Right. But like everyone's ears needed a bit of a break yeah. or, or kids ears needed a break from that. And mm-hmm. she, and here, and this, and here comes Billie Eilish yeah. in the same way that being Crosby, mm-hmm. <laughs> my modern references again. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. So, you know, at that time <laughs> in Crosby's time though, to, to be a singer, uh, you, you know, Caruso, Rudy Valley, Al Jolson, and these guys they made their their trade in these vaudeville theaters, no microphones. Mm. So you had to sing right. crazy loud, operatic loud, like proper opera singers do. Mm-hmm. And that's what it meant to be a professional singer. And then I guess the ribbon mic comes along, the mm. RCA ribbon mic specifically. And, and Bing's a young singer who comes up right at that same time. And so he learns how to sing very quietly and very intimately. Mm-hmm. And so there's just that generation of music listeners all of a sudden, again, He's not screaming at me. Right. He sounds like he's got the gig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so and so people just felt very, very close to this guy. Right. Because of his singing style. And and everything pivots. Now everyone has to innovate and learn how to do that. Right. You know, and Jolson yeah. just disappears. Rudy Valley yeah. disappears. Gone. Yeah. Um, there was a new technique that was now necessary. And yeah. that that to me, that's why Billy and is is my is like my being Crosby of the twenty first century. Yeah, I like it. Die! 
start. Next, I'm going to play a whole entire song. Like we, we usually do little segments on this show when it's appropriate um, of songs, but this time I want to play the whole thing. Michael Bluestein, who was featured in episode number nine, has a new single out called Say Goodbye, which is available on all streaming services, and there's a video on his YouTube channel as well. It also features Claire Riley Rowe on vocals. Um, so check that out, but that's not what I want to play. I want to play another song that he wrote, and it's called Why Corona? We talked about it on his episode, but never played it. And he wrote it in the beginning of the pandemic, and I don't think at the time any of us had any idea that it would be this serious and we'd be out of work this long. You know, it's been completely devastating to the music community, including crew people and touring staff, like tour managers, merch handlers, and bus drivers. So so I just wanted to give a big shout out to to all of those people and everyone in the music industry. So I hope you enjoy this song. Oh my Corona Got its hooks in me Not sure on I'm all alone My Corona Got me quarantined It's getting colder I'm all alone My Corona I'm down on groceries Let me show you It's the same all over And it's getting worse every day Why, why, Corona? And oh my God, do I pray Why, why, Corona? And I can't wait till we say Bye, bye, Corona Oh, my Corona Italian tragedy, Pompeii to Roma Up to Verona My Corona France to Germany, just like they told you You gotta be a soldier And it's getting worse every day Why, why, Corona? And oh my God, do I pray Why, why, Corona? And I can't wait till we say Bye, bye, Corona Makes you bolder You're not a loner My Corona Friends are what you need Pick up the phone You're not a loner And it's getting worse every day Say bye bye, Corona. Oh, bye bye, 
In this next segment, Bernie Dressel and I talk about playing with smooth jazz piano player Keiko Matsui and how singers have an advantage in an instrumental world. This was cut from episode number three, if you want to check it out. And I do apologize for the subpar internet sound that we're so accustomed to here in our pandemic world. Well, we didn't talk about Keiko Matsui, actually. And it's funny that you bring up Mm -hmm. Jonathan, because Jonathan got the Kimmel show just as I was getting the Keiko gig. And then Jonathan left and you came on. So for my first like full time being the permanent Keiko person, me and you were on that gig together. And, and uh, it was just a total pleasure. Like you kind of, mm. that's another gig that you sort of wrote the book on, you know, I don't know if you realize that, but the, I was the musical director after a while for, cause I was with her mm-hmm. for 12 years. I, I didn't mean to, mm. like, I don't mean to like, you know, one up you or anything. You were with her seven years, but I, I was there a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you you did up you one up me. <laughs> I think you're the second the second longest member of the band. Uh. But the, so as I was hiring people or whatever, I would still give out certain songs like the recording that you did because you sort of defined mm. the drums of that gig, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember we went to Japan together right off the top and mm-hmm. like, you were, you were in it forever, but it, it was, uh, it was a real pleasure to play with, with you in that gig. Uh, so it's another gig that you've, you, you really put your stamp on. Did you, I did didn't you vibe you the new guy. I didn't vibe the new guy. You know what? We had known each other before that. <laughs> and I, you didn't, you didn't. Because no. we had, I mean, I felt, I always feel vibe by you because you're, you're an extremely good player. And at the time I was like, even new to LA, you know, I was only here for like a year and a half and trying to figure it all out. And I just kind of got this, I mean, I'd done a lot of smooth jazz and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, this was my first sort of major gig where Keiko is a gig that she works consistently it's not enough necessarily to make your living but she works all the time it's not a and she's she's going strong now i mean up until this you know like everybody right now but a lot of airplay and concerts all over the world she's doing great yeah but did you enjoy doing that gig was that something that uh i always describe it as as the bass player playing whole notes while the drummer just goes off so it's a really well drum gig you know (laughs) The drum chair, totally enjoyable. There's so much freedom of groove and expressiveness. Yeah. Although there was a sameness because it's, you know, smooth jazz. So it's contained to a point like to be the bass player on Keiko Matsui's gig. Yeah, I would have been not happy. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's about the drums and Keiko. Right. And the bass is almost like the drummer in a way in a lot of bands where you're just the foundation in a way. Yeah. You're an important foundation because there'd be bass players that did not play that gig well. Right. That didn't understand that and tried to play too many notes and too many things. Look what I can do and not be happy just playing, you know, like a drummer that had to play on Billy Jean rock beat number one. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just playing that, that's what you have to play. That's what it is. So right. the bass chair was very specific of being the foundation. Yeah. So b- boring in a way, like you could say it's, oh, playing uh, Billy Jean is boring. It's rock beat number one. But come mm-hmm. on, you're playing with Michael Jackson and laying down the groove for the yeah. band. Yeah. You know, it's an important thing, you know. Yeah. And I were- mean, the drums, 
it's just the drums are so much more important than bass, really, don't you think? <laughs> uh, generally, generally. I, I would agree with that, probably. <laughs> that's why I'm just a frustrated drummer at heart. because You're a singer, though. Well, that's very true. That's you right. win there. I, I, did, win. I did minimal singing towards the end in Keiko stuff, but... Uh, with my but, band, with my band, the BBB, I say, no piano. I have a guitar, but right. 99% of big bands have piano. No piano. Maybe yeah. some keyboards. No yeah. piano and no singer. I know. Oh, you don't that care. hurts the singers. You don't that hurts care about the me. It features the <laughs> drums yeah. and the horn soloists, you know, and the horns. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of, you know, it, it really is all about vocals and drums. Come on. Tribal and the yeah. human voice. That connects with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It for really. Sure. For sure. Come on. Yeah. No, that's true, man. I, I, right. remember, I used to play, I played with Greg Karukas. I think you Greg, played with Greg Karukas as well. Yeah. But while I was playing with Greg Karukas, we used to do these every Wednesday. They had the wave, the radio station, the wave sponsored sort of a jam. It doesn't even exist anymore in Hollywood, but mm-hmm. uh, so every Wednesday there'd be like Mindy Abair and Peter White and, and you know, all the guys would come out and sit in and one night, uh, and you know, they would kill, but then one night Jonathan Butler came and he got up there and he sang a song and it would just forget about it. You know, they just tore the roof off the place because everyone was so desperate to hear vocals after all of that instrumental, right. stuff, you know, and all you had to do is have Jonathan Butler sing and you're like, Oh, forget about it. This guy's, this is incredible. I mean, besides him being incredible, you know, I know you want to go Eric, but I don't have anywhere to go. I have nowhere to go tonight. Okay. I got to tell you one story. So, okay. That's something else. Yeah. About vocals. So I I played with Andy Summers from the police, the guitar from the police as, as a trio. Uh huh. It was always instrumental trio and Andy playing his tunes, meaning that for his original stuff that was not the police Uh featuring the guitar as a lead instrument. So Jerry, I did a lot with Jerry Watts. But then Dave Carpenter, rest in peace, Dave, um, he came on the band and steered Andy into doing some uh, Thelonious Monk stuff. And I would call more jazzier than the jazz rock I was doing when Jerry was playing bass. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) Dave told me, like when I left the band and Dave was still there, he said, Bernie, you know, you know, we would sometimes close with murder by numbers. Or, or uh, uh, message in a bottle, right? Or I think it was message in a bottle, but one of the stink, one of the police tunes. But he would, Andy would do it instrumentally. Got you. No vocal, because people wanted to hear the police. They right. didn't want to just hear Andy's original fusion tune. Right. And they're there. <laughs> okay, so he would give them a little meat at the end with one police tune done instrumentally. Well, Dave told me, okay, one night, probably in Europe somewhere, Italy or something, Dave stepped up to the mic and sang Message in the Bottle as they were playing it, or and that he goes, wow, it was such a rush. The crowd was going nuts. They were loving what I'm doing, you know, the vocal. Like, it was just that lifted and, you know, the voice coming in and Dave's voice instead of staying still great. And then afterwards, Andy says to him, don't ever do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's hilarious because, you know, Dave just experiencing it like 
oh, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm getting the adulation. I'm like staying almost here right, in the right, setting right. in the small club yeah. and lifting the, you know, it's good for the show. And then yeah. Andy goes, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know Andy, yeah. he can, he, he is a great guy, great intellectual, great yeah. guy, humorous guy. But, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't I mean, cross I, some more. Yeah. Don't speak his British mind about yeah. it. <laughs> well, I, won't, I won't mention any names, but I've definitely <laughs> been there before. Like, <laughs> oh, like, yeah, you're a vocalist and a yeah, bass like, player, same was, thing. Sometimes they they realize you can sing like, well, why don't you do it? You, you, why don't you sing a song tonight? And that's like the last time you ever sing a song. Okay, don't do that anymore. Because it's hard I to did sing. I did sing on a casual once. Oh, Early wow. on in my career, they go, cool. someone said, do you sing? And I'm thinking, I need the gig. <laughs> why, yes, I do. I can sing. Can you sing a few tunes? Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. So I got their sheet music to On Broadway. Nice. Uh, what's the t- Elvis tune? Wise men say. Yeah, yeah, Only yeah. Fools rush. Yeah, and I forget something. A couple other things. So, <laughs> so finally, and they don't need me to sing. It's a stupid casual. Like casuals are more hip now that they're like, uh, uh, now they're you know, really great players. The in ears, it's t- yeah. tracks. It's totally slamming, like yeah. the Beyonce gig or whatever. Right. Uh, back then it was <laughs> schlocky. So they go, okay, sing one now. Okay. On Broadway. So I sing on Broadway. And and they kind of went, okay, that's enough. <laughs> no more. And, and it's not because I was good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you Although mentioned. Although I did, I did sing backgrounds with Setzer with the trio. Sometimes, like, even on the huh. damn Tonight Show, I'm singing uh-huh. national TV Jeez. at 1225 backgrounds, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> and uh, there wow. I am, getting paid by the... NBC. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you get extra for singing. That's an extra paycheck. That's the big one. Oh, I when better you... go after that. Yeah, I, I mean, not, that's a, that's a whole different to... scale. I'm going to have to go try and collect on that. Yeah, man, I know. <laughs> From 20 years ago. I have to confess something. I I love books, but I I don't love reading, and it's it's been something that I've I've wrestled with since I was a kid. You know, I, I can read. I have read books, but they're very time consuming, and I've spent most of my time trying to build a music career, <laughs> which takes a lot of time. But one thing I definitely do a lot of is drive in LA traffic on my way to a gig. And there's a solution that combines those two situations, and it's called Audible.com. Audible has thousands of audiobook titles, and you can listen offline anywhere, anytime. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And they have just a ton of music-related titles, like All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman, How Music Works by David Byrne, or Music Production Secrets by Calvin Carter. And you can get a free 30-day trial right now if you visit audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. That's audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road. Uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast... 
All you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. In this final excerpt, uh, Bill Sinkay from episode number 13 and I might sound a little bit like grumpy old guys talking about these kids today, but I think it's an interesting conversation. I also think every generation is talked about that way and eventually talks that way about the kids after them. And I think every generation just might be right. It might have been even today, you know, on the drive over here, you hear something like Peter Frampton, you know, Frampton Comes Alive mm-hmm. from 1974, whatever that was. Yeah. Everybody my age, even even if you're not a musician, you could whistle the guitar solo. Yeah. You knew every note of it. Right. Absolutely. When was the last time you heard a guitar solo? <laughs> I know. You know? I know. When was the last time somebody played like John Bonham when you had to listen to it 30 times and go, wait a minute, where is one? What did, what did he do there? You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say those days are lost. I, I am told by some people that that music is still out there. I just have to go find it and search for it. So I, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. I, I'd like to think that that's the case, but, um, just the idea of style over substance kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I think it's pretty pervasive and I, I think it's, it's disappointing to me in yeah. a lot of ways. And this is again, where I sound old, but. Well, if I can <clears throat> bring any hope to it, I have a feeling that after all of this COVID stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, right now everyone's going through some heavy stuff, right. you know, whether you're working too, you know, overtime because of the, the shutdown or you can't work at all, it's affecting everybody in a way. And it, it kind of reminds me, they, they, you know, the seventies, you go through this period of time with um, all this uh, emotional acoustic music becoming the pop music and uh, there's a theory that that's because it just came out of the 60s where it yeah. was just constant battles and fighting and fight you know and politics right now is like battles and battles everyone's just fighting in facebook for christ's sake you know um so i have a th- i have a feeling that what's going to come out of this is music yeah you know what i mean and all this if you think about the, the life right now and you put a Pitbull song to the soundtrack, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Pitbull. Right. It has its time and place, but that became sort of the soundtrack of spoiled, rotten America. That's everything's great. <laughs> yeah, and now right. all of a sudden it ain't. Yeah. And it's going to require a different soundtrack. You know, it, people are going to be emoting in a different way. And all that stuff that is sort of dumbed down because it's for dumbing down. You don't want to be on the dance floor thinking about deep lyrics. You know, I get it. Sure, I'm not trying sure. to complain about that necessarily, but... I think that it might open up some space for some deeper stuff to happen musically. I'm hoping. Well, we we probably need a new John Lennon and Neil Young. Right. You know, um, we need we probably need people to be uh, maybe a, a deeper thinker. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if I said lyrics as opposed to words, mm-hmm. some people get that and some people don't. Right. Um, the idea of being a little poetic. And saying the same old concept in a new way. Right. That used to be the art form. Yes. I think we've lost that art form because now we just say whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if it used to be we wanted to be uh, tricky about how we sang a love song or a song about heartbreak. Now right. you kind of spit it out and you repeat it and you can use some foul language and you put big drums. And by the way, there's no drummer. 
Right. <laughs> right. There's no real music, you know, there's no real instruments on it most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've, we've lost that. If we can regain any of that yeah. coming back, this is, this is the theory of, you know, burn it down and see what grows. If, if yeah. you have a catastrophe, maybe that's what'll come of it. Well, it forces you to deal with heavy stuff, you know, and if you're a person who avoids that, there's, there's no way around it right now, you know? Yeah. But it also reminds me of something that you said in another interview that I've, I've, I listened to in the last um, 24 hours at some point, you were talking about um, doing something that somebody else has done, but it's always new because of your perspective. Um, I, I can't, I think you were talking about public speaking or something in that interview, but, the, but what it made me think of is that that used to be what made music awesome. Like right. there's not a whole lot of difference in a Beatles song and a Rolling Stones song necessarily, but, and maybe that's a bad choice of two bands, but you'll get the point, but there's different players in there and that's what made the sound different. Right. Now it's all the same keyboards making all the same tunes. Exactly. And it's all, you know, it's all computers and like there's no, the human element is taken out. So it's like everything sounds so much the same because there's no perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, it brings into to play a lot of different things because the human element, it's hard to put your finger on and that's a good thing. Right. Right. The fact that right. you and I are both singing bass players, but if you and I record or play live, we don't sound the same. We're not supposed to sound the same. No. Right. So people hire you for you and they hire me for me. Um, right. Going back to my Neil Diamond days, one of the greatest producers in Nashville, my, my good buddy, Richard Bennett, right. He's a guitar player, um, producer. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into rehearsal on the way down to the rehearsal. I was stuck in LA traffic for three hours. Right. I was listening to an old Cat Stevens record, you know, CD in my car. Right. And yes, I do st still use CDs. <laughs> That's good. I walk in and I said to Richard, I said, you know, man, I got to tell you, I was just listening to this old Cat Stevens record from 1972. You know what the first thing that jumped out at me? You actually hear the fingers squeaking on the strings. <laughs> when did that become a bad thing? I know. That means that there's a human being with fingers and, you know, Richard Bennett just looked at me and said, I know, isn't that an interesting thing that even the hint of some sort of humanity, we have to squeeze out of it, right? We, you, <laughs> like that would never fly today. And you look at that and you say, eh, how far removed are we going to get before we can go uh, you know, it's not even a 180, right? That would be a 360. We need to come all yeah, the way back and, and, and just kind of uh, get back to where we can say, wow, the human voice is imperfect. Oh, yeah. Drummers, the greatest drummer in the world is not going to play like a drum machine and should not play like a drum machine. Yeah. Uh, and, and that goes into the writing of a song. That's not just the performing because one of the things that, I, again, that I mentioned in my book that one of the things you might have been thinking about is I said... Um, a band is very often defined by its limitations. Mm -hmm. You have a sonic fingerprint, as I call it. Hmm. That means Bill Sinke does his thing. Eric Baines does his thing. They're both really good. A lot of people like both. Right. You got your gig. I got my gig. On and on. And you can say that, you know, it's like it's like inflating a balloon. It gets bigger in every direction, right? Mm -hmm. It's all the good stuff. Who's the guy that plays really fast? You go, wow, that guy's great. Who's the guy that plays so simple and soulful that you go, wow, that's great. Who's that punk guy who's the kid who is just thrashing with a pick? And it's like, man, I can't do that. That doesn't come out of my body. Right. 
right? That's him. That's his attitude. That's him with the nose ring and the shaved head and his anger and his angst and his hopes and his dreams and all of that stuff. Right. That's coming out of him. You can hear his tattoos on this. <laughs> that's not me. So you hire him to do that. That's the humanity. People sometimes think it's just a matter of, oh, well, no, we'll tune it or, oh, we'll use something, you know, something synthetic. It's more than that. You're losing the yeah, attitude. You're losing time. the ambient noise. And yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I recently had, a, 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 I was producing some yacht rock for, mm-hmm. for a library, you know, and, and I, I got the, I did a pitch for taxi or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know about taxi. I know very well. Yeah. And <laughs> so the, the thing was, if you have any old, um, recordings from the 70s, 80s, that's a yacht rock. We want vintage yacht rock. And it, 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 I mean, if you can make it sound like that, okay. So I'm like, all right. So I whip something together and I throw it and they're like, perfect. And they send it along and the guy's like, oh, this is awesome. You know, so great. Hey, by the way, I know this has got to be old, but do you have an instrumental, you know, mix of it? And I'm like, dude, I did this two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so then that one went fine. And then I did like two or three others after that. And the next one I sent, he's like, well, I think you need to tune the vocals and you know, I'm a, I'm a decent singer. You know, I wouldn't send anything that's out of tune, you know? Right. Um, and I was like, well, okay. I mean, I, I'll do that. I do it every day, but um, you wanted this vintage sound. And he's like, you know what? I just, I'm giving it to these supervisors and they're so used to hearing tuned vocals and mm-hmm. you just can't do it anymore. That's right. You just can't have it anymore. And that's, that's a shame. And then you listen to an old Whitney Houston record one of the, you know, arguably one of the best singers ever lived mm-hmm. and she's flat you know like the, 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 it just happens it's what yeah. makes it human it what what makes it musical you know what i mean other than that it's just you know a cash register could make that sound it's like you know it's just this digital machined out thing that we're so used to now that you can't even go back yeah and see when you know it's it's almost unfair to use terms like flat and sharp because it is right. human it's essentially yeah. like saying no, you know that apple that I just picked off the tree? I had to put sugar all over it because it didn't taste right. No, that's what apples taste right. Let me <laughs> let me let me break this to you. That's right? way out yeah. of that's way beyond my pay grade yeah. to improve on an apple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. nature. Yes. You know, and some people uh, they don't see it in that context. Yeah. And and it it bugs me. Yeah. You know, it bugs me because um you know, if you take an old Stones record with all due respect to Charlie Watts and Bill Wyman, if you put that to a click track, it's not, it's, it doesn't stay in time, but who cares? The, no. It was the greatest band. They played, exactly. they rocked. Yeah. A- and, yeah. and and so- I also started to get to the point where I, I, well, I was, I came to the realization that all my favorite singers, like, not that I compare to these people, but the ones that I look up to and want to be like, Luther Vandross, mm-hmm. if he airs, if you hear him, if he goes- off a little mm-hmm. which he does i can point it out in certain regard he's always flat if it's ever not right yeah it's flat then you have other singers that if they're ever not right they're sharp and mm-hmm. then like that becomes a part of their signature it becomes a part of the way they sing that you relate you listen yeah. to and you don't know that that's happening but you're like why do i like this up tempo song oh because the guy's just pushing that note up a little bit he's just a little sharp why is this song making me feel so sad well because he's just on the bottom of that note he's just a little flat you know what i mean that it's a way of emoting sure that people consciously do and you take all that out and you it's just like you say you're taking out the humanity it's 
it's barely it's barely music now now we definitely are into the old grumpy you know oh, yeah. dudes <laughs> which is why i'm so comfortable which is why which is why i mean really i i i'm one foot from you know grabbing the remote control and putting my feet up on the coffee table at this point but <laughs> So I have many more amazing guests coming up on this podcast, but I wanted to take a second and say that I have loved talking to all of these musicians, and it's been such a fulfilling way to pass the quarantine. It's also been an honor to showcase these highly skilled professionals that quietly and anonymously influence all of our lives. I think that this crazy life that we live is, is not something that a lot of people really choose. You know, like... I might think that I chose this, but there's no way I was going to ever do anything else. And my parents can attest to the fact that I was musical from day one. So in the midst of the worst time in music history, I, I'd just like to dedicate this episode to everyone who is out of work and hanging on until we can all entertain again. Because at the end of the day, we just live to make other people feel good. And that's that's a commendable, honorable existence, I think. And I know that it's a really awkward time for hugs, but maybe you can just send a nice text to a musician today. Cause I'm a star. Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast with all of our hearts, thank you for listening and remember, it's all about dreams. Dreams.